Perhaps one of the saddest words in the English language is this word hopelessness. All of us have experienced some level of hopelessness at some time in our lives, right? Maybe, maybe it was upon receiving some really bad news, some, some tragedy maybe that happened in your family to a close friend, a loved one, maybe, maybe in losing someone that you loved dearly. Um, just turning on the TV and seeing what's going on in our world can induce this sense of despair, right? And this is what hopelessness is. It is a lack of hope. It is despair. And, and I almost recommend not turning the news on, but I know we can't live with our head in the sand, but, but it seems like when you do, boy, it's easy for us to feel this sense of despair with, with what is going on in our world. Like there's, there's the sense of no hope. One young woman by the name of Jenny wrote this. She said, sometimes things feel hopeless, not always within my life, but looking outward. It seems like rough times lie ahead of us. The world seems to be kind of caving in on itself in a lot of ways. I don't know if there's anything as terrible or as demoralizing, anything as tragic to the human soul as, as this. Max Lucado, in his book, Unshakable Hope, he writes this. We've never been more educated and entertained we have technological tools our parents could have only dreamed of, and we are saturated with information, amusement, and recreation. Yet, more than ever, we are starving for hope. In America alone, uh, Lucado writes, the suicide rate has increased 24% in less than 20 years. If a disease saw such a spike, it would be deemed an epidemic. People are dying from a lack of of hope. And as we wrap up this series tonight in Amos, we come to this final chapter. And if you've been with us through this series, what you've seen is that Amos, probably one of the bleakest books in the, whole, in the entire Bible, Amos has just laid out, he's, he's laid out the, the prophecies, the visions, the messages that God has given him, these stern judgments delivered on God's people. The sinfulness of the people has been exposed. The foretelling of, of divine chastisement upon the nation has been pronounced. And, and while there's always been at the heart of all of this, this desire for the people of God to hear the message and to repent and to turn back to God, it's quite evident that's not going to happen. In fact, what we don't really find in this book are very little is said of ways to avoid any of what was about to come, any of the punishment for the people's sins. And so I, I would imagine that it would be really easy to give up on hope. I would, I would think it would be very easy for the remnant, for those faithful still in Israel who, who are trusting God, who are looking to God, I would imagine that for them hearing these messages from Amos, <laughs> I, I would think that they would just feel this overwhelming sense of hopelessness, giving up almost. Like, what's the use? How are we ever going to get through this? But in the final words of some of the sternest judgments delivered on his people, God speaks hope. He speaks hope. In the end, God says, 
grace will triumph. In the end, what we find in these final verses, Amos demonstrates that there is always hope for God's people. Amen? There's always hope for you if you are a child of God. And so it still makes sense for you and I to hope, no matter how hard times are, no matter how dark the world becomes, there's always a reason for you and me as God's people to always hope, to never have this sense of hopelessness. Here's tonight's big idea. It's on the screen. No matter how bleak the world becomes, there is hope because there is a living God. Amen? There is a living God. So there's still hope even in hard times. However hard it gets out there, church, however bleak our world becomes, there is still a reason to hope. So here's what I want to give you tonight. I want to give you just five simple reasons that I find in this chapter, five reasons to hope in hard times. Five reasons to hope in hard times. Number one, number one, we can hope in hard times because when everything seems hopeless, say it with me, God is still on the throne. When everything seems hopeless, God is still on the throne. You know, while our circumstances or the world seems to be raveling out of control, God is still in control. And there are moments in our Christian lives where these rough waves seem to rock the boat of our Christianity. We've been there, right? This storm that, that, that proceeds into our life, man, it can rock our boat. And, and while this is, could, could be considered cliche, it brings us encouragement, right? God is on the throne. It can almost be cliche. But when you stop and, and consider the reality of this, that God is still on the throne no matter how bleak it gets, man, that brings us hope. That brings us encouragement. That brings us peace. The greatest king of ancient Israel recognized there is a throne higher than his own. David said this. This is Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. When you look at the context here, if you go back, I didn't read verses 5 and 6. Let's take a minute to look at them. You, you set this passage in context. Look what it says. The Lord God of armies, he touches the earth, it melts. And all who dwell in it mourn. All, the ri all of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundations of his vault on earth. He summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the, of the earth. The Lord is his name. You see what, what is being revealed to us here? God can touch the earth and it can melt. He can cause the land to rise and to fall like the Nile River. He can shake the very foundations of the earth. Church, all of creation is under God's rule. Remember Jesus in the midst of the storm with the disciples, right? They're scared to death. They think, they think they're going down and they wake up, Jesus, aren't you, aren't you concerned? The, the boat's going down. Jesus has taken a nap. Remember what Jesus does? Remember how he stands in the front of the boat and he says, peace be still. And they marveled that the winds and the waves listened to his voice. Church, our God who's on the throne commands 
all of creation. It's all under his rule. Not only does he rule over creation, he rules over the nations. As we get into our text tonight, verses 7 and 8, he, he reminds them, he reminds Israel that, that while they were his people, they didn't deserve any special treatment. And he reminds them that, that it was him who brought them out of Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of the day back when he had delivered them. And he reminds them that God, by his strong hand, delivered them out of, out of Egypt. He also brings up these other nations, the Cushites, uh, the Philistines. He brings up the Arameans, right? I mean, these were nations, some of them very small, some of them superpowers. And yet what God is saying is he's saying to his people, look, don't think that you get a pass, you get a get-out-of-jail card from your sin because you're my people. I deal with all the nations, I rule over all the nations. I judge all of the nations. And it brings us back to this truth that God sits above every power and principality. Look, Congress may never get their act together, right? Who knows what goes on in Washington? Who, who, who can say what's going to happen down at the Capitol in Phoenix? Who knows? I know this. I know that there is one who sits above them all. Amen? He's my king. He is the king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God sits above every power and principality. Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heaven. His kingdom rules over all. So when we think about our lives, when we think about what makes us feel hopeless at times, let's remember that no matter what goes on in our world, our God sits on the throne above all powers, above all principalities. And from his throne, God sees everyone and everything. Verse 8, look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom. He sees the good. He sees the bad. Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, sometimes in our hard times, in our difficulties, in our in our circumstances, we wonder if God sees. Does God know? Does, is God aware? I mean, at our core, we know it, don't we? At our core, we know that God sees, and we know that God knows. But, but practically speaking, we doubt, at least in our situation. That we, we, we somehow question that. And what we're to remember tonight, Christian, is that we can take hope, yes, because God does see God does know we're never out of his sight in verses 9 and 10 God says that he's about to give the command he's going to raise he's going to shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes a sieve and not a pebble will fall to the ground all the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us they're going to die by the sword what is this telling us it's telling us that God who sits on the throne he's able to separate the sinners from the saints he knows who his people are. He knows who the saints are, right? 
the wheat and the tares. He knows who his people are. He, he knows who the righteous are. He knows who the wicked are. And God is able to separate them. God, the day is coming when that's going to happen, right? We read about that in the, the latter half of, of the book of Matthew. You read about that in Revelation. The day is going to come where God's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. He's going to do that. And so simply what we take from this is, is that no one who's rejected the Lord is going to escape. You know, sometimes I think we get the same mentality that Asaph had in Psalm 73 where where we look at the prosperity of the wicked and, and it somewhat discourages us. We wonder, why, why do those who, who hate God and, and live apart from him, why does it seem like they prosper so? And what we have to remember, as Asaph did, is that time's not up yet. God knows what's going on. Asaph went into the sanctuary it says in Psalm 73, and, and he remembered their end. And I think this is what we can take away from Amos chapter 9, these verses, verses 9 and 10, that, that, that there is hope for God's people because God does sit on the throne. You want to know what's, you, you want to know who has no hope? Well, you read verses 9 and 10. Who has no hope? Those who reject God? Those who do not want to walk in God's ways? There's no, that, that's a hopeless situation. But for those who are walking with God, we can rest assured that God knows how to separate, and he will separate the sinner from the saints. And we know that all this comes to fulfillment. We're not going to take the time to, to read it, but you might want to jot it down or go to lifepath.church and click on that first link and get the notes. Because in 2 Kings chapter 17, we see the fulfillment of all of this. It all recorded how the king of Assyria invaded the, the land of Israel and besieged Samaria for three years until it fell. And, and it, God just lays it out for them why it happened, because they had deserted him. They decided to, to worship idols and all that we've already seen in the book of Amos. But the purpose of that judgment was to remove those who rejected the Lord and to save those who were faithful to him. So how does that give us hope? Well, no matter how bad the wicked are in our world may be, God still sits on the throne. He sees all and he judges all. So really, what we're to be concerned about most is our own accountability with God, right? We can pray for our leaders. We ought to pray for our nation. We ought to pray for revival to come to our state and to our nation and to our city, right? Do you pray for that? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is our personal accountability with God for which we will give, stand before him and give an account. Hope because when everything seems hopeless, God is still on the throne. Let me give you a second reason why to hope in hard times. Number two, hope because God always follows through on his promises. He always does. Look at verses 11 and 12. Well, actually, notice what it says first in verse 8. The end of verse 8, 
God says, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. There we see Jacob, again, as we saw him earlier in our, in our call to worship. I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. See, God's making a promise. This is the Lord's declaration. God says, I'm telling you, while judgment is coming, I am not going to totally obliterate the house of Jacob. What is God doing? I think he's just simply reaffirming the promises that he's already made. The promise that he's made to mankind. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, at the fall, and God makes this promise through the seed of, of the woman, to send a redeemer, to send a savior, one who would crush the head of the serpent, right? And all the way through the Old Testament, the promises that God made to his people, to Abraham, and then to David, I think what, what is being reiterated here is God is simply saying, I, I've made promises, and I'm going to hold to my word. I'm going to do what I said, I, and I will not totally crush the house of Jacob. Why? Because I still have plans for them. I've made a promise, and I am going to see that through. In fact, in verses 11 and 12, we see God reiterating this, that he's going to keep his word. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Church, when God says, I'm going to do something, you can take it to the bank. Amen? We can believe and trust every promise of God. You know, at this time, David's dynasty had been reduced to this rickety shack of sorts, right? I mean, David, after David, there was Solomon, and then after Solomon, the, the, the nation divided, right, under Jeroboam and Rehoboam the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, right? Amos has come from the southern kingdom of Judah. He's, he's up preaching in the northern kingdom, right? I mean, and you, you study through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and the Chronicles, and you just see, you see them take their paths. You see these, uh, these dynasties in the northern kingdom and many of these kings who just walked away from God and who lived a, a totally wicked, idolatrous kind of, of a life. And in the southern kingdom there in Judah, God is simply saying, look, it's been a mess, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. I am going to do what I promised David I will do. It's a message of hope. It's a message of hope while hard times are ahead. None of the judgments happen yet. They're still living in luxury in Samaria. But the judgment has been foretold, and before the judgment even comes 40 years later, God is promising preemptively to keep his word. You can mark it down, church. God will do what he has promised to do. Does that give you hope tonight? Does it give you hope? That the promises in the word of God, that we can claim the promises of the word of God. We have to know what promises are ours to claim, right? Be careful that you don't go into some passage to some 
promise that's been made like to David or to Abraham and, and claim that as your own. Sometimes we go into the Old Testament, we take promises that, that I don't think are promises to us. We can make application from them. We can see how God works. We can, we can see how, how God processes things and, and how he works with us as human beings. But we have to be careful about what promises are ours to claim. Some promises are unconditional, aren't they? I mean, a good example of that is God's covenant with Abraham. He told him he'd make him a great nation because of his faith in him, that he was going to bless all the nations of the world through him. That was an unconditional promise that God made to Abraham. He was going to fulfill that promise regardless of the circumstances. But some promises are conditional. There are certain parameters, certain conditions that have to be met. For example, God's offer of salvation. It's available to all. But is there a condition on it? Well, yes, there is. Faith, right? Believe, trust him, receive him. Then you can partake. Then you have his salvation and many others. James chapter 1 and verse 5, God will give you wisdom. Do you need wisdom for a decision that, you're, that you need to make? Did you know that the Bible tells us in James 1.5 that if we ask wisdom, he'll give it to us? But did you also know there's a condition on that promise? He says, ask, condition number one. Two, ask believing, ask in faith. Because if you, if you don't ask in faith, God says, don't expect anything, right? There's, there's promises that are unconditional and there are promises that are conditional, but we can know this without, with, with absolute certainty. God will keep his promises because God is truthful. God can't lie. Because God is faithful. Because God is immutable. He cannot change and he will not change. And because God is loving, we can trust that God will keep his word because of who God is. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. You see, the promise is tied to who God is. God is faithful. God spoke to Abraham through an angel told him that, that even though he was 100 years old, that he would give him a son, right? Abraham laughed, laughed at that. I guess he was probably 75 at the time he heard the promise, but, but he had the son 25 years later. God kept his promise in a miraculous way. You see, a promise is only as reliable as the one who makes it. And so church, God will do what he promised and God is able to do what he promised. Remember who God is. Remember who our God is who sits on the throne. He's omniscient. What does that mean? It means he knows everything. God knows everything about everything. He knows, he knows the ins and outs. He knows, your, he knows your needs before you know what your needs are. He knows what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen five minutes from now. He knows. He knows it all. We can trust him. We, we can trust that, that he is able to do what he promised because he knows everything. He's omniscient. Also because he's omnipresent. He's with us no matter what is going on in our lives. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Sometimes we get feeling so hopeless because we feel alone. 
all alone in the world. We have to remember the promise of God that he's always with us and, and God's able to do what he promised because he's omnipotent, right? He is not only all-knowing and everywhere, he is all-powerful. I love what Romans 4.20 says about Abraham. It says he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Particularly, give him a son and make a great nation that would bless the world. Abraham believed that what God said he was able to do. Church, when you start feeling hopeless, what I want to encourage you to do, I want you to go to the word of God and find out what God has to say about what you feel hopeless about. See what God has to say about it. See, remind yourself with who God is and ask yourself, is God able? Is God able to overcome this situation? Is God able to overrule this situation? Is God able to work even if the whole thing blows up? Yes, yes, and yes, right? Remember who God is. Remember that he is able to do what he promised. Faith believes what God has said God will do it. Hold on to God's promise until it is seen. And what happens, church, is the more that we, we trust God, the more that we trust his promises, the more our faith grows. Have you seen that in your life? Right? Have you seen God answer prayer? Have you seen him you know, uh, come through on a promise? Doesn't that always encourage you? to pray about the next need. Doesn't that, don't you ever go back in your mind and say, well, you know what? I've seen God do this. I saw God's faithfulness to his promise here. I can trust God with this need today that I feel so hopeless about. I can trust God with this. Why? Because I know God. I know who God is. I know that he's faithful and he's trustworthy and that he is my heavenly father. And so we trust God even if it means waiting 25 years to see God fulfill his promise like Abraham waited. How long are you willing to hold on to God's promise? You will find yourself feeling hopeless when you're not holding on, when you give up holding on to God's promise at some point because of how hard it is, because of how bleak it seems. Can you trust God's promise even when it seems bleak? I like the old story about a man who fell off a cliff but managed to grab onto a limb on the way down and he began crying out, help, help, is anyone there? The man heard a voice saying, I'm here. I'm the Lord. Do you believe me? And the man replied, yes, yes, Lord, I, I believe, I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. And the Lord said, that's all right. If you really believe you have nothing to worry about, I'll save you. Just let go of the branch and I'll catch you. And there was a long pause. And the man cried out, help, is there anyone else there? That's what we do. We trust the Lord just until it just seems crazy to trust the Lord. I'm not encouraging you to jump off cliffs tonight. I don't think there's a promise 
that God's going to save you, when you before you splat at the bottom of the cliff. But, but I think you follow the point. It's a matter of trusting him no matter how bleak things get <coughs> in our world. To give up on hope is to give up on God. And so I don't know what you're dealing with tonight, but here's the word. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on trusting his promise. He will fulfill every promise he has made. So stand in faith and don't waver. So hope, because God always follows through on his promise. Uh, number three, why hope in hard times? Hope because, number three, God can bring bounty out of barrenness. When you look at verse number 13 here, you'll remember that as part of the judgment, Amos prophesied earlier that the, the once lush land would be turned and it would become barren. It would fail to produce this bounty of crops that it had once produced if you look back at chapter 5 and verse 11. But here, what God is promising is that one day he's going to reverse all that. He's going to reverse that curse. Look at verse 13. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of the seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and all the hills will flow with it. This is God making a promise that he is going to, while the land is going to be barren, for a long period of time while the ruin was coming, that God one day will restore all of that and that the harvest will be so bountiful that the harvesters will be still harvesting while it's when it's time to go plant the seed. Like the next season is starting and they're still trying to pick up last year's, last season's bounty. And so it's this idea of, of a harvest like has never been seen. This is what God is promising. That he's going to restore. That he's going to bring bounty to the, to the barren land and that once again it will be a land overflowing with milk and honey. You see, the same God who created everything out of nothing, who said, let there be light, and there was light, who created all the vegetation on one day, that same God can take a barren land and make it bountiful. It's who our God is. And God makes this promise to them. Isaiah also prophesied of this renewing power to, to replace these desert conditions with fruitful ones. can read about that in Isaiah 35. I won't take the, the time to read it, but, but it's the same Isaiah gives the same prophecy. This is what will happen. Such is the power of our God. So church, why should we ever lose hope? I mean, seriously. Why should we lose hope when our God can bring bounty out of barrenness? Sometimes our, our lives feel barren. Sometimes our fruitfulness seems barren, spiritually speaking. Sometimes our, our, our life seems barren, uh, uh, physically speaking, financially speaking. Jesus said, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't, they don't have storehouses or a barn, yet God feeds them. And Jesus said, aren't you worth more than many sparrows? Aren't you? Doesn't God love his children more than he loves the birds? And Jesus went on to say, don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink. Don't be anxious. 
How often do we get feeling hopeless just over the, the material things of this world when we have more material things than any society has ever had? But we, we can stress over that. We can feel hopeless over those things at times. And, and Jesus said, the Gentiles of the world, they eagerly seek those things. But your Father knows what you need. God knows exactly what you need. Sometimes it feels hopeless when you think about, you know, the long term, like retirement or how, how are you going to live 20 years or 30 years and, uh, you know, after you retire. And it can almost feel like a, this hopelessness can overtake us. Should we really feel hopeless over such things? When our Heavenly Father feeds the birds, can't he take care of us? Be a wise steward, yes. Don't, don't squander your money. But by all means, God can provide. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. David said, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Do you believe the word of God? Don't ever feel hopeless over material things when God can take a barren land and bring bounty out of it. God can meet your needs, every one of your needs. Hope because God can bring bounty out of barrenness. Number four, I gotta hurry. Number four, why hope in hard times? Hope, number four, because God is able to take what is ruined and restore it. He's able to take what's ruined and restore. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards, drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. Remember, he's speaking to a people that he's just pronounced judgment that the land's going to be stripped. The cities are going to be burnt. You're all going to be carried away in exile. And here's the hope. God's saying, look, I, this is all going to happen. However, I am going to restore it all. You're going to come back into the land, and I will restore the fortunes of my people. Those cities will be built. Those vineyards will be replanted. You will drink the wine. You will eat of the fruit of the land. The blessing of productivity would return to them. I think maybe the fulfillment of that promise is evident in our day to some extent. I, I've never been to Israel. How many of you have? Some of you have been over there. Jeff, you just went a little while ago, didn't you? And, and from what I understand, that, that in Israel, there, there's parts of the desert that is like, it's just come to life. There are masters at irrigation. Am I, am I telling the truth on this, right? And I mean, they're planting in places that, was, that you wouldn't imagine, I guess. Perhaps some of this is already being uh, revealed. It's already happening uh, after the rebirth of the state of Israel and the, the first ingathering of the exiles. But I, th I think this is only a portion of Israel's full and final restoration. How does that give us hope? How does this give us today any hope? Well, have you ever tried pulling yourself back together? After you feel like you're falling apart? You ever feel like you're falling apart? You ever felt like life is falling apart? When your life is crashing to the floor, right? You've seen it. 
have you ever dropped something and it's almost like in slow motion, you, you've knocked it off the counter and it's almost like it's happening in slow motion and it smashes into a thousand pieces and somehow there's something within you that you're just, you want to somehow catch it and then you want to be able to put it back together but there's too many pieces. I'll never forget um, at one point when our kids were small, I think it was Michaela, something got broken. I can remember her bringing this thing to me and saying, you fix it, you fix it. You know, and I'm looking at that thing. I can't fix that. <laughs> that's, that's, they're, they're, it's missing pieces, and some of them are shattered too, too, too far beyond repair. But, but here's the reality of it. Sometimes life, those sorts of things happen in life. Sometimes they're relationships. Sometimes it's our own doing. In fact, wouldn't you say, as you read the book of Amos, everything falling apart was their own doing? <laughs> it was all they're doing. This wasn't God being a bully. This was simply God carrying out what God has to do as God because of their sin and loving his people. Sometimes it's not our doing. Sometimes our hard times are just simply times of testing and maturing our faith. But when, but when we're in those times and it feels like life is falling apart, and maybe you're not there right now, but I can assure you, you probably know people that are there right now. And if you're not there right now, there's probably going to come a time yet in your future when you may feel that way. Here's what I want to remind you. And that is if you know God, there's always hope because God can take our ruins and he can restore them. Amen? I think about our church that way. I, I believe that God can restore our church. I, I look back, there's, there's pictures that come up on my, I've got, I think, 27,000 pictures in my photo library. 27,000 from like, I don't know, 15 years or something in my iCloud. And they, and they come across my, my screensaver on my desktop. And pictures come up, and I'll see pictures from 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago in our church, and, and I'll see a room packed with kids in a VBS, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll look at that, and I'll think, Lord, can you restore? Can, can, you, can, can, you, can you revive the work to the point where we can see you restore some of what has been ruined through the years? I want to see that. Do you? I want to see that. I want to see that, and I believe that God can do that. Listen, and God can do that with our lives. No matter what happens in life, God is able to restore what's broken. One of the greatest illustrations of this in the Bible, in a personal kind of a way, is the story of Job, right? Remember Job's story? Talk about ruin. It all happened in one day. Man, you talk about life, you know, falling and crashing and smashing to a hundred pieces. I mean, it all fell apart in one day. He lost 10 kids, lost his possessions, lost his wealth, he was afflicted with, with horrible skin disease. It all fell apart. Yet through all of it, despite his human emotions, at times he got very impatient with God. He never doubted, however, that trust in the Lord was necessary. And despite his suffering, he trusted in God's will for his life, and he continued to praise the Lord. And as a result, not only did Job's faith soar, but his life did as well. 
Eventually, you read Job chapter 42, and you see how God blessed Job. God gave Job a double portion. He restored his marriage in many relationships. He gave him a new household of children, and he allowed him to live to a happy old age. God restored. He took the ruins, and he restored the life of Job. Listen. Why can we hope in hard times? Because our God's in the business of taking broken, ruined lives and making a trophy of grace out of them. Number five. Why should we hope in hard times? We should hope because the way things are is not the way they'll always be. Look at verse number 15. God says, I'm going to plant them on their land. And they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. Listen, nothing could thwart the plan of God for Israel's future. Nothing. Not even Israel's sin. Not even as dirty, rotten as they had been. They couldn't thwart the plan of God. God was going to accomplish his plan. Evil does not have the final say. Can I get an amen on that? It does not get the final say. God gets the final say. And God has a brighter future planned for his people. Hallelujah. Right? He has a brighter future plan for us the big question i guess of course is when will all of this take place and there's two there's basically two views one view is that these old testament kingdom prophecies are being fulfilled spiritually today in the church the second view is that god is going to bless national israel in an earthly millennial age i don't know which one you come down on i come down on the second I believe that at the second coming of Christ, God's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. Jesus is going to rule in Jerusalem on David's throne. And the breach between Israel and Judah is going to be healed. And there's going to be one nation submitted to one king, Jesus, who's going to sit on the throne and bless the land and bless the people. And there's going to be a thousand years of peace on earth and prosperity on earth like has never been seen. So by the way, you can tell the climate change people to just take a long walk off a short pier because the climate's going to last at least another thousand years. In, in my view of Scripture, we got at least another thousand to go on earth with Jesus as king. Now, let me just say this too. It's, it's best not to argue the point because there are good Bible-believing Christians who differ over the nature of the kingdom until Jesus comes. The all-important thing is this, that God did not completely destroy his people, that he left a remnant in Babylon who would be delivered from captivity and from their descendants, Jesus the Messiah came into the world and from him came the church and one day he's gonna come again. Can we, believe, can we agree on that? Amen? He's going to come again. And so we may differ over these things, but let's do that in love. Let's differ as brothers. But most of all, let us make sure of our salvation. Let us make sure that we are going to be in that future kingdom. Why? Because without his salvation, there is no hope. There's no hope. And until the day he comes, for those of us who know him, there is 
every reason for us to live, not hope with hopelessness, but with hope. Live with hope for tomorrow because the way things are is not the way they're always going to be. Remind yourself of that. Next time you get bad news, next time you have one of those days that you like to just, you put your head in the pillow, you just want to forget all about it, remind yourself. God has a brighter day planned for us. And so no matter what you're facing in life today, your tomorrow is in the hands of the one who sits on the throne, who keeps his promises, who can bring bounty out of blessings, and who can bring restoration to the worst of ruins. And so church, no matter how bleak the world becomes, there is hope because there is a living God. A living God. Here's your next steps and we're done. Number one, I will face feelings of hopelessness by looking to the God who sits on the throne while entrusting my life and the lives of those I love into his hands. I will not despair. I will trust in him. Is this the next step that you need to take? Do you need to do you need to face the, the hopelessness, the despair, perhaps, that you sense growing in your heart, in your life, and face those feelings and look to God tonight? Can I encourage you to do that in a moment when we bow our heads together? The second next step is, I will offer hope and encouragement to those who have lost hope, pointing them to our living God. You may not feel hopeless tonight. I, I hope that you don't. <laughs> but you know, we live in a world where there are a lot of people who feel hopeless. There is an epidemic of hopelessness going on in our world today. Listen, we're to be the people who are hopeful. And we're to share that hope with the hopeless. Amen? You know, you know people like this. Look for them. Get into conversations with people. And when you, when you hear their hopelessness, love them. Don't throw the Bible at them. But speak to the hope that you have in your life and why you have hope in your life. And point people to the living God who sits on the throne. Amen.